out, everybody. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We're going to get started. So go ahead. There's still plenty of pizza. Clark, I believe, is back there. I can't see him, but I trust that he's back there. Uh, hey, there he is. He's there. I see him. Wonderful. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Theology on Tap. My name is Justin. This is Brian. And we are uh, going to start here right now. So one of the things that I want to draw to your attention, if this is your first time, that said welcome, you'll see these little sheets of paper kind of around the room. The way the evening works is Brian and I will have a topic at hand each evening that we'll discuss, and after that, we will throw it open to questions. And I think Lizzie is our questionnaire this evening. And so you can text in using this QR code at the top. Any question, whether it's related to what we're talking about or not, we always love to, to get questions that are really just whatever you're concerned about. And so we'll do our best to answer those. And Brian, are there any things that we should announce other than that? Uh, there are a couple of things. One is that in addition to the QR code for your questions, uh, there should be a QR code for joining our mailing list on there for the Yeah, Web tap. there it is. Uh, so if you are not on that list and you would like to be, I am really loud. Yeah, something's going on. And I'm not loud. Or no, I am. No, I, feel I mean, I'm really loud normally anyway. So, uh, but we'd love to get you on that mailing list so we can keep you informed about things that are happening. And I also just want to make sure that all of you are aware about a very significant event that is coming up this weekend, which is September 22nd. Does anyone know why September 22nd is significant? What? Is it Michaelmas? No, that's a great guess, but no. No? Anyone? Is it a solstice? I don't know what's going on. Okay, it is International Hobbit Day. Uh, Should have guessed. Because it is the, the birthday, not only of Bilbo Baggins, but also of Frodo Baggins. You're welcome. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, if you're new, you can tell that Brian and I share a love of Lewis and Tolkien, though he knows all the information about them, and I don't. Uh, so tonight, we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about the things that make relationships go well? What are some things, particularly from Jesus, but, but really all of the Bible, that will be helpful, whether it's a romantic relationship, whether it's um, a family or friends, whatever kind of relationship, what are some things, and this is a massive topic, but what are some things, what are some habits that are good that in general make things go well? And this is one of the things we talked about before is actually God made us for relationship. One of the unique things about the Christian faith is God didn't create the world because he needed anything. He is Trinity. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is in himself relationship, and we were made for relationships. We were made for relationship with God and each other. And so it'll be really important. I'm excited. We have not really prepared much tonight, uh, or at least talked about how we've prepared. So we'll see where this goes. But where, where do you want to start in terms of the things that make relationships go well? Well, I think um, where I would like to start is just looking a little bit at what Jesus models in his life. Mm. Because one of the things that we believe as Christians is not only that Jesus was the Son of God, uh, the incarnate third person of the Trinity, but also that he lived the fullest, most wonderful life that is the model of what it means to be fully human. 
And if you look at Jesus's life, what you see in it on this topic is devotion to relationships. And you see Jesus calling out these 12 men that he invests his life in pretty much 24-7 for a period of three years. And then within that group, there are three that are kind of a, maybe an inner circle, if you will. But these are guys who are maybe a little rough around the edges. Uh, Galilean fishermen, tax collectors. Uh, these are not uh, emo guys who are uh, sitting around uh, in a lot of uh, gothic sort of attire. Uh, but the interesting thing is that when you look at the things they talk about, Jesus leads them constantly into talking about things that matter, talking about what the meaning of life is, talking about serving each other, talking about what does it mean to be great, and then also regularly talking about what does it mean for us to love one another. And he's very clear about that, that it involves self sacrifice. So I think that sort of framework that we see Jesus modeling is really kind of the starting point for thinking about relationship. Yeah, there's so much that you could talk about with what Jesus did in modeling it. And self-sacrifice is a key thing, right? I think when you mentioned love, and we live in a culture that loves love, we're obsessed with love, but we don't really know exactly what we mean by love. I think one of the best definitions I've heard on what actually is love is sacrificing yourself for the good of the other. And there's a lot of things in that definition, but it's focused on the other person. It's focused on an objective good of the other person, and it involves putting yourself behind the needs of the other towards that good. Um, and I think, you know, just in how Jesus related with, with his disciples, that stands in contrast a lot with how we tend to think of what a friend is today is he's he says some things that are not like, he doesn't just oh man i get it bro like you know he's he, he doesn't just like tell them you've had he, the wrong translation is that not what you're reading oh, yeah mine says i don't know what version that is but i have the bro bible you have the bro bible no but he's not saying you know i get it no big deal he often will say things like ye of little faith, or, you know, you foolish, like, what, what's going on with you guys, right? And it makes me think of the proverb that I have found to be really helpful is uh, Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And that gets to some of it there. If there's such a thing as an objective good, friendship and re good relationships revolve around are you willing to actually risk to actually say what is what is good and right even if that may be a wound right even if right. that will initially not feel good but proverbs said that that's a faithful thing you see jesus doing that all the time with yeah. his disciples yeah and i think part of part of that is the whole idea of understanding that when you are in a relationship whether it's a friendship or a dating relationship or a marriage or a family relationship if you truly love the person, you want what is best for that person. And all of us are, in the Christian understanding, afflicted with sin. And so we're going to be tempted to do things and to embrace things that are not healthy for us, that are not 
um, going to enable us to be all that God has made us to be. And if, if your close friends, if the people who love you and your family or your spouse, if you're not willing to engage on things where you see someone you love who's going in a bad direction or doing things that are maybe going to hurt them in the long run, um, that's a poor kind of love if you're not willing to, to jump into the fray on that. So I think that is a practice and a habit that's really important to learn to speak the truth in love. And Ephesians talks about that uh, a lot. And uh, the idea is that you speak the truth, but you couch it in such a way that it's clear that you're not just judging the person or trying to tell them that they're bad, but you really care about them and you're wanting to try to help them with whatever the issue is. So I think that that's a habit or practice that's really important. Yeah, and you can so easily see, I've seen this go wrong so many times, where you actually just care more about being right. And so if you don't, and this is where you balance speaking the truth in love, right? So there's a patience, there's a long suffering, there's and so much of that's communicated, right? 90% of communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And so how your body language is, how you've led up to this conversation, you know, the other things that are part of that relationship are going to inform when you do, in fact, deliver you know, that faithful wound that is actually for the good of somebody. It's like a diagnosis going to the doctor, right? You, you want to have good bedside manner, right. but you also want to have the right diagnosis. Yes, too, you know? yes. And I think you know, the other thing that's a practice that is... Uh, Sorry, I've been talking to a couple of lawyers and I was just thinking uh, presupposition and rebuttable presumption and all of that, which is not helpful. But one of the things that you need to do before that is you, you have to make sure that one of the practices that you're engaging in is actually spending time in person with the people that you're in relationship with. This is one of the things that's really easy to miss I think today, and easy to miss in what Jesus modeled, is that he sacrificially chose to spend a huge amount of time with the people that he was devoted to. And I think in our culture, we have a view that we want our friends to be available, understanding, loving, and ready whenever we take it into our mind that it's convenient for us to be with them. But we are not about sort of that long, slow investment of regular time. And if you're not doing that sort of investment in the relationship, it's very hard to speak the truth in love and be well received. And a lot of times what we will do instead is we will send a text to someone like, Justin, I can't believe you actually said that. Man, what were you thinking, you know, that kind of thing. And then we wonder why the person becomes defensive on the other side of that. But part of that whole equation is making the investment on the front end. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand about this, but one of the things that happens for many of us, and I remember this even when I was your age, I can't actually remember that far back. Um, One of the things that happens is we sometimes sort of accidentally fall into relationship with people that it's convenient to be friends with, rather than prayerfully and intentionally approaching who are the people that are in my life that maybe God is calling me 
to invest in. And I would suggest to you that those are two radically different approaches and one is better than the other. Mm -hmm. I know we've had questions in the past theology on tax where people ask, like, how do you balance this desire to have friends but people don't really seem to indicate that they really reciprocate. And it seems like the default so often is like just what you said, that we're looking to get what we're not willing to give ourselves. And if we started with the, some, I think just the, the mindset that we're all selfish mm-hmm. and the biggest problem in the relationship is me. That was one of the things when I taught the marriage class at uh, Tim Keller's book, Meaning of Marriage, mm-hmm. is like, you know, if marriage is just, if both parties started with, I'm the biggest problem in the marriage, uh, then you're going to have a lot healthier marriages. Right. And I think that's true, actually, in every relationship. Mm-hmm. If you have a right understanding of your own heart and the human heart, is that you're actually incredibly selfish. You're probably the biggest part of the problem. And if you started with that and said, I'm going to be persistent in denying my selfish desires and reaching out and, and trying to uh, cultivate a relationship, right? I think that would be helpful. Yes, for sure. And I think another aspect of that that's related is the whole idea of being vulnerable. And there, there are two sides to that. One, it's very vulnerable. It's taking a risk when you speak the truth in love yes. to someone. That is vulnerable because they could judge you, they could reject you, they could get angry. So there's that side of it that you have to watch out for. But there also is the side of inviting someone in to see the parts of you inside that are struggling, maybe that you're ashamed of, or things that are really emotional that you keep very private and protected. And if you are always trying to keep up the facade of, I've got it all together, uh, I have no struggles in my life, you're going to find that you have shallow relationships. And that when you take that risk to be vulnerable, that is the time when you are able to actually develop some depth yeah. in the relationship. Yeah, and you think about the uh, both with what Jesus did himself in taking on uh, vulnerability, being vulnerable, the fact that God would become as something as vulnerable as a human baby in need of a mother, in need of part of his created world, that he made everything yes. and yet he would enter it to need another human being much less as a baby, shows that vulnerability is a huge thing, right, to God. And also you see throughout, you know, you can think of um, those who are experiencing brokenness and need in the life. He is pretty adamant when he's trying to cultivate um, health and healing that he puts his finger right on the spot. I'm thinking of the woman at the well, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, the fact that she had this uh, checkered past, that he was not willing to leave the conversation, but in such a gentle and kind way that was so dignified of, of who this person was. And um, yeah, I think that's, we all deep down want to be fully known and fully loved and accepted. Yeah. But the biggest fear is to be fully known and rejected. Because yep. if, if we, we think if people really knew what was going on with me, then of course they're going to reject me, right? And uh, unfortunately, I think that's the biggest obstacle to why we, we don't get more vulnerable with, with people. Yeah, and I think this has only been exacerbated by social media uh, because I think there are so many people, I'm sure none of us, none of us do this, um, who are very careful to curate the image that they have on social media. So everything is beautiful, 
everything is happy, everything is always a party, and there's never a night when you're sitting at home in sweatpants alone and binge watching something on television because all of your friends said, I'm busy tonight. I'm sure none of us have ever done that. Um, but it is, uh, I think, something that we have to be on the lookout for and we have to make sure uh, that we are not building two separate lives that is like the, y'all are so young, but The Wizard of Oz is a great movie. You might have seen. Oh, come on. Y'all have seen The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Okay. Come on. Even though it's old. Come on. All right. So The Wizard of Oz, there's this big projection of the great and powerful Oz out there with sound effects and everything else. But the actual guy is this little bald guy hiding behind the curtain. And it's really easy for us to start living life that way. And that kind of disconnect is profoundly unhelpful and makes it really hard to have good relationships. Yeah, there's that is such a good point. Social media and the fact that it's so normal now to operate through our, our relationships are mediated through technology in so many ways that we can curate ourselves. There was a quote, I can't remember how long ago I shared this, but Tish Harrison Warren in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, she made this exact point, and she was talking about the importance of, of actually communicating our weakness and, and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And she said this, it was so provocative, is that uh, true weakness is never fashionable, right? It's never something that you're like gonna put on a resume, right? <laughs> because if people actually found out about it, then you, you would be just mortified, right? And so I thought that was a really helpful thing. My wife has this, it's a t-shirt that says, bless this mess, right? And it's kind of, um, you know, we've got three kids at home and life is kind of a mess, right? But uh, that on the surface has this idea of, oh, look, I'm so weak. But it actually, there's this kind of, I don't know, dynamic that's out there where it's now fashionable to share just how much of a mess you are. Right, yeah. But when it becomes fashionable, it's actually not weakness that you're, it's not true vulnerability because it, you're gaining brownie points with other people. Yeah. The true vulnerability is the stuff that, man, you're actually risking and people might be appalled at. Yeah. And I would say another thing that's a practice or a habit for good relationships, whether it be friendship or a dating relationship, is having that relationship be about something. One of the things that uh, Justin and I are fond of quoting from C.S. Lewis is he talks about uh, the fact, and I'm going to make this a little gentler than what he actually says. But no, give it to us. Come on. All right. Well, what he actually <laughs> says is those pathetic people who uh, just say, I want friends, I want friends, don't understand that what they need to do in order to have friends is to be a friend and to invest themselves in some things that they're interested in. And then Lewis goes on to say that the best relationships, the best friendships, are those that are about something, where two people meet each other and they discover what you two, you also are really interested in this thing that I thought only I was really interested in that. And then he goes on to say, true friendship is born when two friends see the same truth. And I think there's a lot uh, to think about with that because uh, if you are trying to build your relationships, uh, if you're new to Charleston, for example, and you're trying to meet people and your default activity is to just go to Upper King Street and get wasted every weekend night, um, that is not a 
something that a friendship can be about. I guess maybe it can, but it's not a good thing for that to be what it's about. Uh, but if you are about something like being interested in the same volunteer cause that you go do or interested in um, some athletic something or interested in literature or the best of all is to be um, involved in the same church and trying to grow spiritually, those kinds of things help you to build a relationship that has depth and breadth to it. Mm -hmm. I think that's such an important point that, that looking for, it's the very folks who are just looking for a friend for the sake of a friend that never get them, right? And I think that's Lewis's point. And it has to be about something greater than just this other person. We've all been in maybe relationships where you feel smothered or it's the idea of the relationship that is more appealing than the actual person. And whether it's, again, friendship or marriage, whatever it is, being about some greater goal. That's why we love literature, right? That is about a quest, an adventure. And I love, yep. the. I mean, ultimately the greatest story is the Christian story and being on this quest for uh, that's that's eternal but meaningful and something much grander than yourself. It's God's world that he's given us stuff to do. And to join in that with others is what really all these other stories and movies and literature are just tapping into and give a little yeah. shadow of, you know? Yeah, and I would say The Lord of the Rings is a great example of that. And, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, surprise, surprise. Uh, but one of the things that's cool about that, you may not ever have looked at it from this lens, but... When you watch the movies or read the books, you see that there are the people who are the Fellowship of the Ring, a dwarf, an elf, hobbits, a man, a wizard, all these different people um, who are drawn together by this quest. And initially, they are prejudiced against each other. Um, some of them even say they hate people who are of this other race. But what happens is that when they focus together on this quest, and they sacrifice for one another, they become bonded together in this deep love for one another. And you think about it, if they had just been only at a bar and they had never gone, not that I'm against bars, we're in a bar. Yeah. You should <laughs> um, but the, the thing about that is if that's all there is, if the bar is all there is, then you never get to where you get when you're invested in the quest. Yeah. That what you said picked up on another thing that makes relationships really good is the humanization of the other person. And you actually, as you're going along, you begin to see things, you know, walk a mile in their shoes. Mm -hmm. the, the role of empathy, actually getting to see life from their angle is absolutely critical, I think, in, in relationships. Is there anything that comes to mind that you think of in the Bible that points to the importance of empathy? Yeah, so um, one of the, there are lots of things, but one of my favorite verses out of the epistles is bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of mm -hmm. Christ. And you can't bear someone's burdens if you don't have the empathy to ask someone to share with you what struggles they're going through in their life. Mm -hmm. And so I think those kinds of conversations that we're not accustomed to having, most of us, are really important. And so... I think that helps to build empathy. Another thing that helps to build empathy is having a robust understanding of your own need for forgiveness mm. and to be willing to say the words that are so very difficult, either in a friendship or in a marriage, I am sorry, mm. not I'm sorry, 
but that I, you did. Yeah. <laughs> that you made me feel that way. People don't know how to Justin. apologize. I don't uh, know how to apologize. But no, the they whole... It, you know, sorry. No, you need to learn to say, I am sorry. I was wrong. That's hard to say. Will you please forgive me? That is a formula for moving a relationship to a place of depth and healthiness. And it's amazing how hard to do it with specificity, right? Yes. To have the ability to say this specific thing that I did, this action, this intention, this motivation was in fact wrong. And in naming that, it's amazing. This is the things that I'm trying to teach my children and I can see it in them, I see it in me, how difficult it is to give a proper apology. So often we want to justify ourselves and mm. kind of, I, you know, like I was saying, I'm sorry that you really felt this way. And you're like, that's not really a good apology. You're apologizing that they did, you know? Right, you're yeah. You're taking ownership, but it, it's rooted in this profound sense of humility mm -hmm. that can come uh, only, I think, when you see yourself as you truly are, but also have the security and the strength to name that, which can only come from the gospel, that you're, you're forgiven, you're loved, not by how good you are, not by how worthy you are, but because God has set his affection on you. That gives you the, the strength, the wherewithal to actually both be honest about yourself and in strength speak up about, yeah, this is, I've done stuff that's wrong, but that doesn't define me. In right, this. right. That's critical for relationships. Yep. It's so important. Uh, this Because guess what? We hurt each other all the time. Even when we really like each other, even the best of friendships, we say flippant things. We do wrong things all the time. And so this art of confession, and forgiveness. We should talk mm -hmm. more about forgiveness and what exactly that is, I think, but it's so critical. Yeah, so and it's like spiritual breathing yeah. to do that. That's a good um, but I think another, another aspect, another practice that's important that involves some reflection is to think about what are the things that are really valuable to me in relationships? What are the things that are valuable? What do I value in other people? And who do I think that God is calling me to be and then look at the people that you are spending time with and think, are they moving me toward that or are they dragging me away from that? And there are so many verses in Proverbs that uh, in the Bro Bible version would be, uh, you, become, you become your friends. Yeah. And so basically, and I think there's a deep truth to that, that uh, the people that you hang out with on a regular basis deeply affect who you are. And I just had a long conversation with somebody about this yesterday uh, where they're trying to make a change in their life, but all of their friend group is still involved in all the things that they're trying to distance themselves from. Well, that's just not gonna work. If you, you have to start investing in relationships with people that are already uh, moving in the direction that you wanna be moving. It's just as if you were trying to uh, swim uh, against an incoming tide, it just is not going to work well. And Jesus doesn't shy away from just how hard that is. I mean, his call to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow me, right? Mm -hmm. He rebukes those who, you know, put their hand to the plow and turn back. He rebukes those who want to do all these other things that are good, but aren't the best thing that he has for them, right? And I, I think I want to emphasize, too, that Jesus never calls us to give up these things without ultimately providing something far greater than we could ever imagine, right? Yes. And so at the same time, he's like, you know, it, following me, following, you know, the purpose that maybe your friends are dragging you down. If you give that up, he's also said, 
my true, my true brothers and sisters are those who do the will of God. He said, those who give up father, mother, brothers, sisters, homes will have a hundredfold in the kingdom of God. Yes. And so the, as hard as that is, right, and to, to actually trust him and step out in faith, it's worth it. Yes. And I think, you know, another great place to look uh, when you're thinking about habits and practices for healthy relationships is to go to that classic wedding reading which is 1 Corinthians 13 about love. And the great thing, look at that. It's for you. You are. Well, you, have a, you have the bro Bible memorized. Yeah, so right. Yeah. Uh, but part of, part of the deal with that is the understanding that's so clear in Scripture, which is that love is a choice, it is not a feeling. And we have, you know, so many, there's so many songs out there. There are great songs like You've Lost That Love and Feeling. You know, you can think of watching that great scene in Top Gun and all of that. But it's terrible theology, and it's wrong. Uh, and the, the choice to love someone is really important. And in this passage, it says love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love believes the best. Um, you know, all of these kinds of things that are active choices. And that's not usually the way that we tend to think about love. But when you understand it in the way that's described there, uh, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. When you, when you make love primarily about a feeling that you feel, it's going to ebb and flow no matter what. And that's the problem. So many marriages, you're caught off guard when, uh, when the feeling goes away. Counterintuitively, when you make that choice, as you said, to commit to actually doing uh, loving actions and good actions for the sake of the other, you'll be surprised that far deeper feelings are cultivated through all that. Yeah. I love the one of the, this is one of the verses that we do, we might say because we've heard it from First Corinthians thirteen and weddings and stuff like that, but it, it goes back to what we were saying before. Love is. Uh, is, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. At the very essence of, of love is rejoicing in what is true and right. Yes. yes. And that is so often not the way we approach yes. what love is. Yes. And the other thing that you see, um, there are so many bad models of relationship out there in media, but one of the things that you see a lot in movies and TV shows and all of that is the, and it's typically couples that this is going on in, sometimes it's friends, but they just bicker all the time. All they do is put each other down and fight and fight and argue. And that is not God's plan for relationships. Relationships are supposed to be places of joy and peace and service and all of those kinds of things. So if you find that your relationships are characterized by that sort of bickering and arguing, or like, you didn't call me today. Why didn't you call me? Are you mad at me? You know, that that whole kind of dynamic that starts happening is really unhealthy. Yeah. Um, just a couple minutes for we need to wrap up our time talking, but let's we got to talk more about forgiveness in some sense. What is it? Uh, how exactly do we do it? Should you forgive just anybody? Uh, no matter what, why or why not? So I think forgiveness means that you, well, there's several aspects of this. So I'm, I want to talk about repentance and forgiveness together. Yeah, I think so that, yeah. repentance 
means that when you have done something wrong, that you go to the person that you have wronged and you say, I'm sorry, I was wrong to have, and then fill in the blank, whatever it was, will you please forgive me? I am going to try not to ever do that again, or something like that. That is repentance. The response to repentance is forgiveness. I forgive you. And then uh, the other aspect of forgiveness is that means I'm not going to bring this up every week and beat you over the head with what you did. Um, forgiveness, there's an aspect of letting go to that. Uh, one of the other things about forgiveness is that it means that you keep short accounts, yeah. that you don't let situations drag on where you get annoyed and develop a root of bitterness with someone, but that you actually keep short accounts if something is bothering you, that you go and speak the truth and love to that person and try to be reconciled with them. There are some times where you may need to forgive someone who hasn't repented. Um, who hurt you in some way, but you may ultimately realize uh, that truth that uh, is usually attributed, attributed to Nelson Mandela, that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that it kills your enemy. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. But the person who is punished by unforgiveness, if you're the unforgiving person, you're the one being punished by that. The other person may have no idea at all that anything is even going on. So I think all of those are, are parts of it. What yeah. would you say? I love that? that quote. I've heard something, you know, locking yourself in a house, lighting a match, and hoping your neighbor gets burned, right? Like, it's the same idea, right? And so I would say, agree, like, hopefully the other person is repenting. And that it does take two people to reconcile, right? And so if somebody is unrepentant and they're continuing to sin and sin and sin without ever acknowledging it, maybe they're blame shifting, maybe they're just utterly denying it, that you should, I'd say, still forgive them. And I love what you said. It's, it means keeping short accounts. It means going directly, I think, to that person. Mm -hmm. If you have any, uh, Matthew 18, we didn't even touch on, but the importance of going directly to people when you've been wronged um, it is, is really important. I would also say that it's a good thing. That I forget, I think it's in Proverbs. It's the glory of somebody to overlook an offense. Yeah. And so if you're constantly always just, you know. Looking to be offended. Yeah, looking to be yeah. offended. That's not a helpful thing. It's, it's a good thing to overlook offenses. But when you do actually go to somebody, forgiveness, I think, I love the, like, the economic analogy, right? The financial analogy. If you have student loans, you know just how exciting student debt forgiveness <laughs> what, like possibly was, right? But the whole point is that when before it's forgiven, it's snatched out. before it's snatched away from you, right? But um, forgiveness happens and it's done with, it's over, and it never is brought up again, right? But it is something uh, that basically somebody has to absorb the cost. Right. And forgiveness is choosing to revoke your right to revenge on somebody, to take revenge or to make somebody pay, and absorbing that at personal cost to yourself. Yes. And then it's, it's paid. Yes. So. Those are some good ones. We just scratched the surface, I guess. But um, how are we doing on questions, Lizzie? Hold it in. Hey. All right, guys. Make sure y'all go on there and vote for the ones you want them to answer. 
Um, it looks like our first one is how do I maintain healthy friendships while also making sure to rightly prioritize my girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse? Uh, that is a really good question. Uh, and I think that one of the things that is important uh, if you are in a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend or you're married is to sit down and have a frank conversation about what the role of friendship is going to be in your lives and in your um, relationship together because I think this is again an area where culture presses on us and we don't understand the, how much the culture presses on us. Part of what the culture presses on us is the idea that if you've got a good relationship, if you're a good boyfriend or girlfriend or you're a good spouse, then you don't need any other relationships. And that that one person should be able to meet all your needs. And that is crazy. Uh, and it is really unhealthy and puts a huge amount of pressure on the relationship. So I think it's very important to have other uh, friendships that are also a priority. But I think you have to have, both people have to be on the same page about that. And what my, you know, my wife and I talked about this early on in our marriage, and that has been something that's been really life-giving for us. Because when we first got married, we were sort of in the, well, we need to like spend all our time together. And that was great in some ways. But the other thing that it meant was the things that each of us liked to do the other one had to like go do those things and be like, oh, this is great. Um, so my wife is a really good tennis player um, somewhere in the 4-0 range or higher. Um, and I'm a beginning tennis player. Uh, I've been a beginner for about 40 years now. <laughs> and um, when we first got married, I thought, I have to get a play with her. And it was terrible because I was just awful and I hated it. And she was trying so hard to be nice and not be like, you stupid idiot, why did you do that? Meanwhile, I love going to the symphony, so I bought like really expensive seasons tickets to go to the symphony while she was teaching first grade at a school that involved a 20 mile commute each way. And so, um, and getting up at five in the morning. So on Friday night when our symphony tickets came, I was like super stoked to get there. Well, the instant the lights turned off, she fell asleep. And ultimately we realized, this is stupid. You should play tennis with a friend that is like a tennis player. I should go to the symphony with a friend who's a musician. And then we were like, wow. And then we did that and it was so great. That's that's a wonderful realization to come to the point where we don't have to do these things. Um, and that's interesting when you think of compatibility and trying to find a spouse and that sort of thing. One of the things I would want to say to that is one of those is not like the other. I think it's helpful is uh, a boyfriend or girlfriend is not on the same level as a spouse. And I think right. that's a very common temptation. But I love what you said. Even in a marriage, even when you're – so, like, there's going to be seasons of life where, like, Guess what? Neither, I mean, we've got a little toddler at home. Neither of us get to do what we want to do. We're not going to the right. It's right. like, You're changing oh, diapers. Yeah, right. you're, you're like that's part of the game, right? Um, that, you, that we signed up for. But, so you recognize that there's different seasons. But also, yeah, just what you, you said, marriage is also fundamentally 
it's less about romance, I would say, and more about common friendship, where you have the same values, same purpose and direction, and you're aligned together. It is, and I think that would be so helpful if people realized that's what marriage was designed to be. Yes. It's more of a friendship. And therefore, you can very easily smother people. Any friend can be smothered. Mm -hmm. You have to have both an appropriate amount of connection and time together and time spent with yes. other things. And no two people are going to be exactly the same. And if usually, you know, opposites attract. If you marry the exact same person, you're probably like a crazy narcissist in some ways. <laughs> There's no way that's going to happen. There's no two identical people, but usually opposites attract. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Do you think there are seasons where you're not fully able to invest in friendships as you wish you could? What advice do you have to maintain those friendships? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that is absolutely true. And I think that part of that involves what I alluded to earlier of really, especially if you're a Christian, prayerfully considering who are the people that God is calling you to be in relationship with. Because you can't be in close relationship with 45 people. Uh, you know, it's just not going to happen. And I think this is where, for a lot of people, it's a really hard transition out of college. Because when you're at college, you're very often living in very close proximity to all of these people that you are really good friends with. And then when you get out of college, that's just not true anymore. And just even the logistics make it very difficult. So I think you have to think through who are the people that I'm really committed to and then figure out, given the amount of time that you have, how can I best spend this time to nurture and develop those relationships and make sure that the time that you spend together is really counting. The other thing that I would say that you can do is that texting can actually be a boon in that sort of situation where you are not using texting to replace the friendship, but to say, I'm thinking of you, I want to pray for you today, um, what are three things I can pray for you about, that sort of thing. Yeah, you're, you're really good at this. I'm not as good, but texting, and what I love about that is it's, it's just communication. At the end of the day, we didn't really, I mean, we kind of touched on that, but honest communication would be exactly what I would say in seasons of life where you are struggling to maintain friendships. Disarming honesty is always a really good thing. Uh, it's one of the commandments to not bear false witness, to be, to speak the truth and be honest about where you are. Uh, a friend is going to recognize that and hopefully not take it personally that you're not able to, to give the amount that maybe they want you to give. But if you're actually saying it on the front end mm -hmm. and communicating that and even just giving little bits here and there, I know that's something that I, I'm trying to grow in in my own life right now is just being clear and communicating with frequency to, to friends. And I've got one of my best friends from high school. He lived away for a long time, but just moved, recently we moved back and we're in the, roughly the same neighborhood and we still struggle to see one another. And it's, again, not holding grudges when the other person seems to be calling more than, the, than you and you're, you're, you're both trying to communicate, but naming and then also using a schedule. Like a lot of people are not yes. good with scheduling, but I found like if you could just try, even if, it, some people might find it offensive if it's you know, a month or two away from this time. Like, hey, this is a day I really would like to do it. And using the calendar, using the schedule as cool. your tool, yep. as your friend is really good. And I will say this, like almost all of my groomsmen moved right after my wedding to various parts of the United States. It was really, really hard 
to actually be in close relationship with all of them. One of the pro tips that we found was even once a year, just getting together in person. Even if they live a long ways away, just having, like, you don't even necessarily, it's amazing what you can kind of kickstart again, even if you haven't been as faithful in the texting or calling, just being in person once a year, it's amazing what that will do. Yeah, I would really agree with that. Just one more example of that. It's my wife was in a Bible study um, 40 years ago in Atlanta when we lived in Atlanta. And uh, now of the 12 girls that were in that Bible study, only two of them live in Atlanta. But they have continued to get together twice a year for 40 years. And they have a text group for prayer requests and they try to do once a year a retreat together. And they are still like that. And yet they've all been through having children, job changes, moving, all that. But they decided to make that a priority. Okay. Um, how do you build, how are you able to build full and faithful relationships with those who do not have faith? That is a very good question. Um, I think that uh, there are lots of ways to do that. I think the relationships that you have with people who share your Christian faith are always going to be different and deeper. But I also think that you can have very strong relationships with people who are not Christians. Um, I have a number of really close friends who are not Christians. Obviously, they know I am a Christian. Uh, but I think that, again, it's that looking for all those qualities that we talked about in friendships. Uh, if you have uh, a truth that you see that's maybe not the Christian faith, but another truth that you share uh, an interest that you share and you practice all of these kinds of habits, I think you can still build strong friendships there. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back to what makes a friendship is that you have a common interest over something. You know, Lewis and Tolkien, it was what, Icelandic literature or something like yes. that? That was the initial thing? Yes. But, you know, I've read had, out loud well, in Icelandic. Whatever floats yes. your Norwegian boat or whatever it is. But, uh, <laughs> Iceland and Norway are not the same. They're not the same place? We'll talk later. For me, I have a, a friend who is like two or three decades older than I am, but we've been good friends since I was about 12 years old because of golf, right? And if it was just golf, that'd be one thing, right? But this is one of the, my dear friends, he's not a Christian, but one of the things, oh, we didn't really talk about this, but Jesus was a master at asking questions. Yes. And that is such a helpful thing. When in doubt, ask good, ask questions. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a bad question, ask a question. But ask, asking good questions is such a good art uh, that makes relationships. That, that's like the oil that makes the engine yes, go in some ways. Sure. But, um, you know, just because he's not a Christian, that doesn't mean we're still, like, we have a lot of still common interest. He has a daughter who's roughly my age. And, um, we care about the community. We care about doing good in, in the world. And there's a lot of really common interests that we have that are beyond just this oh hobby of golf but like and those are I found were the best things when hearing about the suffering going on in his life that he would open up about that and just, again it's like empathy compassion hearing about that and developing just concern and care for one another but talking about the the things that matter how do I live like he was he's been a mentor to me because he's a he's wise he's good with money and he's helped me in ways that even my my parents really mm -hmm. didn't. So there's all sorts of ways. It, they don't have folks don't have to be Christians to have a good friendship, right? So um, that's one example. How do you care for people who make it hard to do so? 
that is hard. And I think it, it's hard to have sort of a one-size-fits-all answer for that because there are different reasons that people may be hard to care for. Um, some people may be really prickly about um, a certain aspect of their life um, that they know needs changing, but they, they just can't. They're overwhelmed by it, and so they don't want your care about that area. Or um, there may be people who are just resistant to the idea of being perceived as weak in any way. Uh, and I think the only thing that you can do uh, in that is to try to serve as much as you can, uh, to try to get your own feelings and pride out of the way, and to communicate regularly, uh, both verbally and in writing, that you care deeply about that person. That's really good. Yeah, there's so much in this very general question that you wonder what the specifics are behind it, I think. Mm -hmm. So that was a really good answer. Um, I would add to that just that looking at yourself, I think one of the things that helped me is learning that I've been really obnoxious and really annoying to people throughout my life and recognizing that I can be really difficult to put up with. And I think that's a helpful place to start when you are trying to show that same sort of patience and long-suffering with people, you know, the classic thing is, look, I mean, God, it's that way with all of right. us, right? Yes. And, 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 yes. But the more practical you see that in your own life, the more tangible and more uh, power you'll have to show that to other people. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. How do you, uh, like, say you have a family, a really close family member, who you want to get closer to God, but they are in setting their ways and they don't want to... But you're trying to push them, but they're just very stubborn. How do you lead them in that direction? It's hard to do that, especially if they're like yeah. parent. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good yeah. question. Such a good question. I think there are a couple things. One is, uh, obviously, uh, probably, to pray for them and pray that God would be softening their heart. And I think another great prayer is to pray that God would put people in their life who are not you, um, that they would respect um, and that they would listen to who know him. Um, so I think that that's good. The other thing that I think is good is to invite them to things that are uh, what I would call low risk. Uh, maybe not to a church service, but maybe to if the church or some Christian group is doing a barbecue or something like oh, that. Like that. It's really weird. I'm sorry to cut you off, Father, but I just threw a surprise birthday party for him last week. And it, for some reason, it drew him closer to God. Like, he, he was with his sisters, and he felt like he needed to make a change in his life. And they were like, work. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great yeah, question. That's a good question. You don't have any more? Um, okay. Uh, let's see where we were. Okay. I often hear the philosophy, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. How does the Bible speak on loving others without being drawn to sin? Wait, I didn't quite understand the first part. You're the average of the five. So that's basically you become your friends. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Never mind, you don't need I'm to I'm here for it. you. He's right again. Yeah. It's in the pro Bible. Yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> All right. I had a question, but you go for it. Uh, so, um, I think part, part, 
Well, why don't you read that again? <laughs> Just to make sure we don't miss it. <laughs> I often hear the philosophy, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. How does the Bible speak on loving others without being drawn number two sin? Yes. Right so one of the things that scripture is really clear about is that um, we are to flee temptation. So if you have friends that you know are involved in things that, and some of their default activities are things that you do not want to do, um, that does not necessarily mean you need to withdraw from the relationship. But what it does mean is you need to withdraw from the activities that are going to lead you down a bad path. Um, so there's that whole slippery slope idea. And there's a great scripture that says, flee temptation and pursue righteousness, peace, and love along with those with a pure heart. And flee is a really big word. Uh, the, the Greek word there is basically the same word for get out of a building that's on fire. It's not the like hang out and sort of try to deal with it, which is what a lot of times I find myself tempted to do. But we're to flee from that, to just say, no, I'm not going to do that, thanks anyway. But the alternative is to try to plan things that are life-giving and healthy to do with those friends and to invite those friends in. And it's sort of a question of which way is the influence going? Are you being influenced away from your faith by these people, or are you drawing them toward the faith through what you're inviting them to and including them in? Yeah. Yeah, and I think recognizing what you spend your time, your talent and treasure doing, uh, you become more like that overall. Like the, This is the thing, we always think that we're far more objective than we actually are, but it's so easy to be influenced by other people. Like we actually, are, our whole matrix of approaching issues is so subtly shifted by the people that we're around, just I would say in the quantity of that time, right? And so I would, I would agree with everything you said, and I would basically try to encourage you to find, not, not like write that friendship off, right, but really put folks in there that are challenging you to be the kind of person you actually want to be. Yes. Moving on after a heartbreak, thoughts or advice? Uh, well, I think part of the answer is right in the way the question was phrased, moving on. Uh, one of the things that is really easy to do if you've been through a hard breakup is to just wallow in it and either go in one of two directions, both of which are equally unhealthy. One direction to go is he was such a jerk. He was so bad. If he hadn't been such a jerk, then we wouldn't have broken up and he's so just such a jerk. Yeah, that whole direction. Or did I do this again? I'm the problem. You know, here I finally had this relationship that might have worked and I screwed it up again. I'm such a loser. No one is ever going to love me. You know, that it's really easy, and I don't mean to make light of either of those, it's really easy to go there. And that is totally unhelpful. What you have to do is literally to move on and say, that's over. That was a thing that happened to not think about and strategize, how do I get this back? Or how do I punish this person for having abandoned me to just let, it's like that 
awful song from Frozen, Let It Go. Let it go. Um, is it just like that, Brian? It is no. just like that. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll sing it into the mic later. Uh, but you just have to say, okay, that was not what God's plan for me was. I'm going to invest in my future rather than focusing on the past. And it's a great time to lean into getting involved in a church, getting involved in serving others, um, leaning into your friendships, all those kinds of things. Yeah, I can't believe you commended the, the Frozen song. That's maybe the only time you've ever done it. Um, yeah, so how do you do that? In, in my own life, the ways I've found it helpful, doubling down, like you said, in, in your faith. And a couple practical things that I would commend are praying specifically. Like, it's so easy to be just consumed with thoughts of the person, right? And heartache, you just are so consumed with oh, everything that was wonderful about that person typically. And, or you're just like consumed with hatred of this person, mm-hmm. right? And either of those is, is not helpful. What I've found to be helpful is really, first and foremost, doubling down with God being near to the brokenhearted. I think that is a yeah. promise in Psalms that you can take to the bank and just mm-hmm. going to the fact that God is with me, God has not abandoned me, if this isn't his plan for my life, he has something that is actually better. And I'm going to tr- step out actively in faith and trust him that this next season is actually, he has something for me now. Yeah. I think that's starting with that and that he's with me. And that something may not be a relationship. It may not be a relationship. It probably you know? won't be. Yeah. Yeah. But he has himself to give you, which is ultimately what we were made for. And he has friendships outside of that that also are what we were made for. I would also say that praying for the person that you broke up with, not in the sense of God give them back to me. But, or God smite them. Or God smite them. But simply in, in shorter, like the, the, the hardest part for me is like shutting your mind off, right? From the, because like, you have to move on, but how do you actually do that? I found it helpful in saying a quick prayer of blessing for that person, whatever they're doing, God bless you in this but I'm going to turn my focus now towards what God has for me. And just the act of doing that, it, it helps me not, helped me not become consumed, I think, in that person and also shifted my focus to God. Uh, that's, it's past 8.30. Okay. We did it. Well, that was stop. great. That was so much fun. Um, and that, that was awesome. You were right. You're always right. I thought that, no, was, that was great. Um, you're pretty close. Well, y'all, thanks for coming out. We're going to be sticking around for a little while. We'll be back in two weeks, back in this room. And thanks for coming. Yes, and if you don't know, this is on podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, so please check out the podcast or share it with your friends. That would be great. Thanks for coming. Thanks, you